Peace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, well, we know what makes Jesus rejoice now, right? A sinner who repents. What makes Jesus weep? Well, let me take you to Luke chapter 19, the 41st verse. You'll read it this week in just a couple days. And it reads like this. When he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it. Sisters and brothers in Christ, today in our Read Scripture Challenge, we begin to read the second half of the Gospel according to St. Luke. And uh, when the week is over, we will pretty much be done then with the four gospel accounts of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago when I preached on the Gospel of John that I would not spend any time talking about the, the Holy Week events, you know, which take up a lot of the book of John. And they also take up a lot of the last half of the book of Luke. And I'm not going to preach either on the Holy Week events uh, for the most part today. Uh, we'll save those for Lent and Easter. Won't, won't be long, and we'll be in Lent and Easter. But what I do have here from the last half of Luke's Gospel is an amazing contrast this morning in the emotions, the emotions that existed within the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we need to talk about that. Uh, here is a picture, as a matter of fact, of Jesus smiling joyously. Do you like it? I really do. I like this picture. Because I'm worried that so much of our Christian art depicts Jesus as being so serious. And believe me, I don't mean to minimize the seriousness of Jesus' teachings and his ministry, the ministry that his Father sent him to do on our behalf. But don't ever forget that when he was born in Bethlehem's stable, he, he became a true man. He took upon himself our flesh and our, our emotions he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sinning. And though at the same time he was truly divine, we should never come to the conclusion that Jesus did not experience real human emotions. As a baby, I'm sure he had baby emotions. As a 12-year-old in the temple, we're given just a little glimpse of what he was like, and he was an amazing young man. The Bible says he was growing in in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. His first miracle was conducted in the midst of a week-long wedding celebration. And little children loved to, be, uh, loved to be around Jesus. The disciples couldn't keep him away. Now my experience is that little children don't like to be around grumps. I think Jesus was a lot of fun. And when Jesus says, why do you worry about the speck in your own eye when there's a log coming out of, or, or, or your, a speck in your brother's eye, I mean, when there's a log, a two-by-four coming out of your own eye. Don't you think he must have had a smile on his face when he was teaching there about the whole matter of judging one another? Yeah, as we consider the emotions of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we've got to make sure that we don't make Jesus into some emotionless visitor from the halls of eternity that doesn't have any any attachment to the ups and downs of the human experience. No, as the Old Testament writer to the Ecclesiastes said, there is a time to laugh and there is a time to weep. For Jesus, that was most certainly true. Because we also know that there were times when Jesus was sad. I'm pointing over here, you know, because that's where the people at home are seeing these pictures. There was a time when Jesus was sad.
Back a couple weeks ago, maybe you remembering, uh, reading John chapter 11 and the death of his dear friend Lazarus, the Bethany brother of Mary and Martha. When he saw Mary weeping, the scripture says, and the Jews weeping who had come with her, Jesus groaned deeply and was troubled. And he asked, where did you lay him? And they said, Lord, come and see. They answered him. And verse 35 of John chapter 11 is only two words long. When I was teaching confirmation, the kids loved to memorize this memory verse because it's only two words long. You know what they are, don't you? Jesus wept. And the Jews says, oh, just look at how much he must have loved Lazarus. Groaning deeply, groaning deeply, Jesus came again to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone laid in front of it. And Jesus said, move that stone away. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was a miracle, by the way, that was so sensational that the Jewish leaders decided, if he's going to have power over death itself, we're going to have to figure out a way to kill him. And it says from that point on, they plotted. But what I want you to remember is that Jesus wept that day. And there is one other account in the Gospels that speaks about Jesus crying. It's the one that I read from Luke 19 right at the beginning of my message today. In Luke 19, we get a very simple answer to the question, what makes Jesus cry? It is Palm Sunday. There's the Palm Sunday parade. And we will consider a part of that Palm Sunday account that, quite frankly, is usually ignored in our preaching on Palm Sunday. Yes, we preach about the hosannas and the children waving palm branches and things, but Luke tells us something else. We are told that as Jesus came over the Mount of Olives, he had a full view of the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the focus of that great covenant to Abraham that I will make of you a great nation. He comes over and he has a full view of the city and he begins to weep, to cry. Oh, there are a lot of people in this parade that dearly love him. Maybe blind Bartimaeus was there. He had just healed him from his eyesight. Maybe Zacchaeus was there who back in Jericho, you know, looked down from the tree and paid his debt to society and had made peace with God. I'll bet the lepers who had been made clean, they might have been in that Palm Sunday parade, right? There might have been the faces even of Jairus' daughter, huh? full of life now, because Jesus had raised her from the dead. Yeah, there were many people in that Palm Sunday parade who knew him and loved him and understood that he was the Yahweh's Messiah, the promised Savior from the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12. But there were other faces in that Palm Sunday parade also. Faces with squinty eyes, just waiting for him to say one wrong word. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people. But oh, they were threatened by the popularity that Jesus brought with him. And of course, there were Roman faces in that Palm Sunday crowd. Romans who were there watching over Jerusalem, fearing a revolution would take place, ready to crush any trouble that happened to pop up. And of course, there were the faces of those 12 disciples. I would guess the disciples that day were pretty nervous. 
all these faces. And the ones closest to Jesus could see and maybe even realize that as he came over the Mount of Olives, he stopped the parade to look at the city. And when he saw it, his body began to shake. Oh, maybe at first they thought he was laughing. That would seem natural with all the hosannas and the shouts of the people, huh? But then they looked at his face more deeply, and they saw sorrow. He was crying, not laughing. He had a full view of the city of Jerusalem, and we are told he began to weep. Why? Because he sees such unbelief. He saw the mass of humanity that was crowding into holy, holy Jerusalem and realized their lives were empty. They didn't understand the purpose of the coming of the Messiah. They were there for the ancient Passover, but they didn't have any clue at all that the sacrificial lamb was right there in their midst, in the person of Jesus Christ. He had come to bring them peace now and for eternity. But it was hidden from their eyes by their unbelief. And he cried. Both Matthew and Luke, as a matter of fact, tell us that sometime earlier, Jesus looked upon the city and he said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather you as children, to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You killed the prophets the one who brought you God's words of hope. You killed them. I longed to come and embrace you as my children, and you are not willing. And he wept. The same tears shed on Palm Sunday, I believe, must cloud the eyes of our Savior today when he looks upon our nation and our world. And the reason is the same. It's the tragedy of unbelief. Since Christ rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he has, he's made it very clear in the last 20 centuries to all of humanity who he is. He has defeated humanity's worst enemies, sin, death, and the power of the devil. He has made available the Lord and giver of life. We call him the Holy Spirit working through the means of grace, his blessed word and sacraments. He has established his body, the church, throughout the nations. His church is all over the nations as a testimony of his presence in a rebellious world. And yet, as he comes over the mountain of the 21st century, he sees stubborn, self-centered, judgmental, and foolish unbelief and he weeps his heart is broken all right sermon is half done answering the question what makes Jesus weep ready for part two today if we follow our read scripture challenge it is this very day what we will read Luke chapter 15 which I just read two parables from a little bit earlier in the service. Two parables that were told by Jesus in response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who accused Jesus of welcoming and eating with sinners. He said, okay guys, 
You want to accuse me of welcoming and eating sinners? And I'm going to tell you a couple parables. First parable, the lost sheep. A man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. He leaves the 99 and goes searching for that one until he has found it. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders and takes it home. Second parable, a lost coin. A woman has 10 silver coins and loses one of them. She lights a lamp, she sweeps her house, she searches diligently until she finds it. And then there's a third parable in Luke 15 too. It's the prodigal son. You're familiar with it. But there's something about those first two parables that really struck me as an answer to the question, well, what brings Jesus joy? We know what makes him weep, unbelief. What brings Jesus joy? What emotion does he show when he sees repentant faith? Well, when the good shepherd finds the lost sheep, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. And the woman, she finds the lost coin, and she calls up her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Now I think there's a couple in-your-face lessons that we can learn from those parables. First lesson, could it be that lost people mean a lot to Jesus? Could it be lost people mean a lot to Jesus? Absolutely! He makes it very clear in the Gospels. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Souls that are lost in the eternal fires of Satan's hell mean a lot to Jesus. What I have to face today is, do they mean a lot to me? Do souls that are lost in the fires of Satan's hell mean anything to you? That's the first lesson. Second lesson, those souls that are lost mean so much, they matter so much to God that as far as he is concerned, they warrant an all-out search. As a matter of fact, the entire story of the Holy Scripture is the story of God and his all-out search to find the lost. For us, when we walk around the world, you know what? You will never lock your eyes into someone who does not matter to God. Look into the eyes of any stranger or friend or family member and you will see somebody who really matters to God. Whenever we walk around the world, we, we never lock eyes with anyone who doesn't matter to God. We never contact anybody whom God is not willing to have an all-out search in order to find them. We never bump into anyone for whom all of heaven would consider it a great celebration, a cosmic joy, if they would just come to repentance. And that leads us then to lesson number three. When the search is successful, it sets off a cosmic celebration from one side of eternity to the other. And that sounds pretty unusual. I know it does. Until you consider, until we make it real personal, when you consider that there was a day when that cosmic celebration 
happened for you. All the heavenly host took time out to celebrate your salvation. And all that happened for me when a young couple in southern Minnesota brought their baby boy to the waters of holy baptism and I was made a child of God and given the gift of saving faith and there was a cosmic celebration in August of 1946. I think Jesus told these parables not only to show what brings joy to Jesus, we know what makes him weep. He told these parables so that we would know what brings joy to Jesus, but also to make us confront what our mission is as the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we can so easily become like the scribes and the Pharisees, judging sinners rather than searching for them. We can become a church that cares only about serving ourselves and our own spiritual needs instead of those who are lost and scattered. So before we leave the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in our Read Scripture Challenge, I hope we have this one thing straight as a bell. If the church is to claim Christ's mission of seeking the lost in our generation, it will, become, it will be because, first of all, we see ourselves on the shoulders of that shepherd being carried back, our own salvation. And what's more, we will also see something else on the shoulder of the good shepherd, and it's a cross. And he's carrying it to the top of Golgotha in order to die for you and me. And we too should weep at the virus of unbelief that is contagious and that has spread all over sinful humanity. And it breaks the heart of a God who weeps for the lost. But we should also rejoice that the plan God has designed is an all-out search for those who are lost. Some of them might be friends of ours, family members. Certainly some live in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Some are work acquaintances. We go to school with some of them. We have social connections to some of them. And the heart of God is beating through you and me. And to that end, we're going to devote the future of the ministry of this congregation. It's already being planned by your leaders. It already has many pieces to it, not the least of which is, you know, a Building Hope in the City training event coming up next weekend where we can figure out how to be more active in our community, building hope in this city, right? But as we finish off the Read Scripture Challenge, there's many, many more emphases being planned, helps being given, strategies being put together that will all lead us to an all-out search for the lost. And to God be the glory through Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We thank you for making it very clear to us what makes you cry, the tragedy of unbelief. But we praise you also that even for one soul that repents, there is cosmic joy. You did it for each one of us when we were saved. You will do it every time that we are restored in the joy of that salvation. And you will do it whenever we as a church get serious about our mission. 
And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we might be faithful to your holy gospel and to the heart and core of it all, the heart of Jesus Christ that is beating through each one of us. To you be the glory in Jesus' name.